we continue our Advent series, uh, A Supernatural Christmas. I've never been very good at titling sermon series. Um, the one we've been in the middle of that we kind of suspended is on heaven, and I titled it Heaven. Uh, I just figured that was descriptive enough, but um, I kind of like this one, A Supernatural Christmas. It's almost like a supernatural Christmas brought to you by Hallmark or something like that. You know, it's like maybe they could pick up these and have a have a, a movie series on it. You know, we know if it's Hallmark movie, it's going to end good, and this one does, um, so that's good. But uh, supernatural, you know, we got to define what that means. Uh, it means literally above or beyond natural. That's where the words come from. But, you know, it's attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. And, and we see that happen. If you think about it, it's kind of a basic belief for uh, anybody who's a theist. You know, a theist is somebody who believes in theos uh, is the word for God in Greek. So if you're an atheist, then you don't believe in God. If you're a theist, you do. But if you're a theist, if you believe there's a God that created um, and for us as Christians did a lot of other things, uh, you're going to believe in the supernatural. Um, where we probably err is we either believe on, in it too little or too much. And most likely the best way to do it is just, just kind of go with it um, and not necessarily expect this to happen because what, what we have to be careful of is thinking God only works through supernatural means. He, he works through lots of means. Uh, what we see during Jesus' first coming, he works supernaturally a little bit more frequently. Uh, and Jesus does a lot of supernatural things. He is God, by the way, so that's going to happen. But in your life, I'll have to say, I, I don't know if I could say I've ever seen a miracle. Um, I've prayed for him. I think we've all done that. But I've seen God's providence work. I think we see that. Uh, and we sometimes think that, well, if there's no miracle, then God's not working. Well, he works through a lot of things. You know, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but... You know, yes, there's a lot of things we're going to talk about. We talked about a couple weeks ago about the first thing that all these supernatural revelations, prophecies that are thousands of years old were able to tell about where he was going to be born. You know, that's, that's pretty good, as we talked about. You know, you can fake a lot of things, but your own birth's kind of hard. You know, and he was able to, to do that as we see those prophecies about who he is and that he's coming and what he's going to do. And then, you know, last week we looked at the dreams that came in. You know, and there's lots of uh, dreams that we saw. The Magi have some dreams. Joseph has some dreams working supernaturally. But I don't know if you ever thought about that, but God worked in many ways. You think about what happens after Joseph way back in Genesis. They end up in Egypt because of a famine, and then they got to get out of Egypt. But what happens is we know there's a Jewish presence in Egypt, and lo and behold, when the dream comes to Joseph... Literally over a thousand years later, that he needs to get out of Bethlehem with the baby and Mary. Where are they told to go? Well, a place that was far enough away from a wicked Herod, but there were probably Jews there in Egypt because they used to be there at one time. Now, that's more providential, right? But that's still God working. You never know how you can see God working. So next week, we'll talk about angels and how the supernatural there because they're non-physical beings and we see them showed up and heck you know i mean you can go home today and say you know we saw some angels i saw a bunch of them here and they're actually pretty good singers yeah and cute as a dickens 
you know. I don't know if all the angels are that way, but those were. Uh, it's de- definitely uh, a, a pretty neat thing. We'll look at angels. Th- today we're going to look at the star. It's because you've got information that can be supernatural, as we've seen, words and dreams, but you've also got objects. And next week, obviously, the object or being of an angel, uh, a celestial being. But today, the star, and, and the star of Bethlehem. So we're going to, if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, will be Matthew 2. Um, and we're going to, I'm just going to read through that now, and then we're going to kind of look at it as we go. Um, verse 1, now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and it rose, and have come to worship him, which is an interesting word. Um, Maybe she's had you read this, Kempson. I think you already did, didn't you? <laughs> Seems familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. It's one of those prophecies we talked about. Uh, a couple weeks ago. Then Herod summoned the wise men, or magi, secretly in ascertaining from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word, and I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening the treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, which we talked about last week, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So there's some supernatural things going on here. But what, what about this star, the star of Bethlehem? Was it natural? Was it supernatural? God could work through either um, there's some possible natural explanations, and if you Google this, um, you can find some of these. Um, some are more compelling than others. You've got this a lot, these long articles about like planet conjunction, mostly Saturn, Jupiter, Mars kind of coming together, which make a more bright star. It only happens certain times, and I think there was one like 7 B.C., and one like a little bit like 2 AD, and those are pretty cool, but then that doesn't quite fit our timeline, but you know, it's neat. Um, Johannes Kepler, who was one of the early scientists that did dealt with astronomy, he thought it was a supernova, uh, which would be kind of cool that you could see, and he kind of had a little trouble with the dating too, uh, because that was a while back. Um, Some thought it was a comet. Seemed like that would go fast, uh, but, you know, I mean, let me ask you a question. You don't have to reply out loud if you don't want to. Could God slow down a comet? I suppose he could, yeah. And, and, you know, probably wouldn't mess up too much stuff. But, uh, but the timing becomes important because we can't quite find one that hits exactly. But, but I guess the other question is, good, could God have worked more providentially, maybe not supernaturally, to get this star so they were looking at it. Sure, and I think that's a perfect uh, possible explanation. But in my opinion, those aren't that fun, so we're going to do some that I think are more fun. Uh, We'll hit one that maybe you've not even heard of, but it's been around for a long time. 
So one of the things is the timing, as we said. I don't want to be too much of a Greek geek here, but the two words that start this chapter are usually translated now when. And I don't know if you noticed that. I think that's kind of cheating, and I'll have to go ahead and fess up to it. My, I have the ESV version that says now after. And I don't know why it says now after. Um, because, you know, we do this. It's why you pay me the big bucks. You know, I went through and searched this, and 98% of the time, it's now when. The only thing I can think of is verse 2, that it kind of looks like, Maybe he's already been born, so maybe they're translating it that way. But just look at the difference in the two versions that we kind of have. You know, if you don't have a Bible, a good Bible, a good study Bible, we've got two versions out there. The ESV, which we normally use, is kind of a word-for-word translation with, with study notes. It's the white one out there. Uh, and then the green one is the NLT, which is kind of easier to read, but I like them both. But you look at this. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. And here's how they translate that phrase. About that time, it was a pretty good translation, you know. Some wise men came from the eastern lands arriving in Jerusalem and asked. The ESV says, now after. And, and you know, one of them's right. I'm not sure. But that's why we look at different translates. It helps us. Uh, I don't think you need to know Greek and Hebrew to understand the Bible well. If you get a couple versions or three, now you get three or four hundred scholars that know it, and you get to get their feedback. So it's, it's good to use a couple. Um, so why am I saying this? Uh, because when we look at our nativity scene here, um, I'm trying to think where this is. You guys might know. It's around here somewhere, um, but I've been driving around so much, I can't remember if it's that way or that way. Um, there's a nativity outside well, because it was inside, I wouldn't have been able to see it, right? Um, outside, and they've got the wise men kind of way off. Why, why do you think they do that? Because, you know, it's been kind of thought that that came later. Um, and that may very well be true. But if you translate this about that, I, mean, I don't know. You know, so it's possible that the timing, so let's not uh, throw the wise men out with the bathwater, as they say. Uh, maybe we can keep them in the same thing, that nativity movie that I've been pushing that came out, what, 06, um, they have them come at the same time, and it's, I think it's possible, I don't know if it's probable, but uh, I guess if you go home today, you don't have to take your wise guys and put them way off over by the kitchen or something, which is kind of nice, because the possibility's there, but who were these guys? This is the hard part, we're not, we have no idea from this text, we know they weren't stupid guys, which is good, they were wise guys, um, actually, the word's magi. Uh, why are they called kings? You know, because we've got that, you know, We Three Kings of Orientar, which is a fun song. They're never called kings, but this is where it comes from. Uh, this is a messianic prophecy in Isaiah 49. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One. Interesting. Thus says the Lord, Yahweh, and His Holy One. So, if you didn't know that, that's probably Jesus, Messiah. To one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. We don't get this one a lot on Christmas cards, but this is a kind of a, when they bow down, some people think that's what's going on here. Um, And don't, we're not going to hit this too hard, but look at that last little phrase in verse 2. 
Um, you've got some pseudo-Christian sects that say, well, he's not God. Well, the Old Testament, who is only supposed to be worshipped? Well, Yahweh. It's the first commandment. You know, don't worship any other gods but me. And what do they, we have come to worship him. You know, and I know you can say, they don't say it, but, you know, Matthew doesn't say, nobody says, well, you don't do that. You know, and when they come and do it, nobody says anything about it. Um, so worship is only due Yahweh, and that's what this holy one's supposed to get all the way back 700 years before that. So that's probably why we call them kings. But where were they from? That's that we don't know. Um, we say that they're from the east. Well, thank you. You know, if I go far enough west, I'll end up east. Uh, but for they're from the east, right? And so, oh, Carol, Des Moines, you know, east of what? You know, probably east of Israel. So we we come down. We think more more than likely they were from maybe Persia, Babylon. That's kind of you know, if you remember, Babylon takes over Nebuchadnezzar. That's the book of Daniel, uh, Ezekiel. Uh, they take over for a while, and the Jews are in exile there. And eventually, the the Persians take over. Um, and so a lot of times they're thought to be Persian. But one of the ideas is that when Daniel was there, you know, the king here is Nebuchadnezzar in verse 2 here of chapter 2. And Daniel commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, be summoned to tell the king his dreams. Um, so they came in and stood before the king. So you had these, and that, this word right here, in Greek, is magi. Uh, so uh, I don't know if they were like, you know, David Copperfield or, you know, how that worked, which I've seen in person, and he's really good. I still don't know how he did some of that stuff. But uh, uh, I think that's a rabbit trail, isn't it? You better stay off that. But but you think, but the, the, so in Persia we had these, if you remember, uh, Daniel interprets these dreams, and so more than likely when they got exiled, they probably took their texts with them. And if you watch the nativity, and we've done this some of our production before, I don't think it's in this year's, but is it where they're looking at the scrolls? I can't remember. But they're that in the nativity, they actually have the scroll of, you know, of Numbers and the scroll of Malachi. And so where did they come from? What well, came when the Jews got exiled? And that, it makes sense. Now, I don't know for sure if they're Persian, you know, uh, but it's po that's why we kind of get that. And that, that makes some sense of who the Magi were. And verse 2 seems to imply that they believed Jesus had been born. We're going to kind of look at this. He said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Now, two things about that. More than likely, that means he's been born. But maybe he hadn't. They don't know it yet. I mean, we've got to be careful with that. But has he been, was he born that day? Was he born sometime that week, that month? I mean, we don't know. The text doesn't say. One of the things you'll find out when you go through the Gospels, they're really, really, and I'm going to use this word with all due respect, bad at giving us location and time. <laughs> Luke does this all the time. Now, a little while later, it's like, well, tell me how many days, you know. <laughs> um, careful. We're, we got what we need. We believe that. Um, but it looks like they're coming to see that. So in verse 2, why were they looking for a king? And we just read through this, you know, in Christmas time. It's like, oh, they're looking, you know, here come these dudes from somewhere in the east, and they 
They're going to find the, well, how did they know this? I mean, I, you know, we have to come up, well, have to, you can just say, huh? But if you're trying to figure it out, and the only verse that possibly makes sense, and it's not too overt, goes way back in numbers from this weird Balaam prophet who's not even Jewish. I see the Most High God, but not here at the time of when he's saying this. And now I perceive him, but far in the distant future. So he's looking, he's seeing something in the future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people and cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. We won't talk too much about that last part. Uh, that's a whole other series of the, uh, the, you know, the slaughter of the Canaanites. <laughs> but, uh, but in here, you know, this is what people think maybe they're going back to, but it's kind of esoteric, isn't it? I don't know, really, exactly what, how, they, how did they know. Is it possible, and this is what we have fun doing, I do anyway, that they just got some supernatural revelation from God that we didn't hear about? I mean, maybe they got one of those dreams. Um, I can't remember. It's Belshazzar, Casper, and... I can't remember the other guy's name. But, you know, the, the dream comes and, and they say, you know, you guys need to get up and you need to follow this star. You know, maybe it was that. Uh, if you, again, if you want to do some research, watch the nativity. They'll show that it's, it's astrolo astrological for them. It's kind of cool. But it's possible there was some supernatural evidence. Something's going on here. And we don't know how often they saw the star. If you read through this, it's kind of an interesting star. And why no one else saw it? You know, you think about these schmucks in the king's court. I've always thought it was weird that they come and they say, where is the king of the Jews born? Oh, yeah, he's going to be in Bethlehem. And then they're like, well, that's it. Nobody even goes. It's like if you're a Jewish scribe and the Messiah that's been prophesied in your scriptures is maybe coming to Bethlehem, wouldn't you like me take an hour off of work and go see if you can find him? It seems like they just don't care. And did they see the star? No, they don't talk about it. I mean, Herod says, well, where is he supposed to be born? He never says, what's this star they're talking about? It's kind of interesting. You know, because, I mean, if there's a star there and it's the lining of planets, I mean, you think everybody can kind of see it. People all over the place coming to see this kid. But it's just these, well, I was going to say three, but we don't know how many. And, uh, We've done that in our production. What's the max we've ever had? 14 wise guys. So other churches only have three wise men. We got 14. Maybe. At least they play wise. I don't know if they really are. But, but, they, but they don't really show any real interest in this. It's just kind of odd uh, to me. Uh, I guess it shows the hardness of their hearts. They really don't care. Uh, but but the way this started, it, did, where was it right now when they're having this powwow with Herod? Is it like outside? Can you see it in the daylight? It's kind of hard to know. It doesn't say. And then it shows up again in verse 9. And that's, it, this is an interesting star. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And I don't know, like I said, when you're reading the Bible, I always think it's kind of fun to think about if I was making a movie, what, how would I do this? And what would you do? 
I mean, you're going to put that sucker as close as that one over there? I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like you could get that from the text, that this star was here, and it's just like comes, and it's just right over top. I guess this is the point. Would it make any sense for the star to kind of give the general area? It's somewhere in southern Judea, you know. And it's very specific, you know. It comes in a very specific way. And verse 10 is interesting, too. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Well, they'd seen it already. Why are they so happy? It's not the star, I don't think, is what they're happy about. <laughs> I think it's what's below the star, if you want to put it that way. Or it, it, that's what they're happy about. But they're, they finally found what they were looking for. Because what happens is, and we don't think about this, is these guys go on the pages of Scripture, I think, to show us that the Messiah is not just a Jewish Messiah, but He's the Messiah for all, which essentially Jesus teaches, and Paul teaches, and the whole New Testament teaches. And then they go off the pages of Scripture, and we never hear about it again. Y'all heard of a bucket list, right? I got one, but mine's all for after I die, for a couple reasons. The minor reason is that when the new heaven and new earth, I'm thinking bungee jumping if I fall won't hurt as much. <laughs> I'm hoping. Or maybe I won't fall. I don't know how that works. We'll get that when we get back to heaven again in the heaven series. But the other thing is I've got lots of questions. I'd really like to meet these guys and find out how this went. I mean, they knew something special was here. And what did they do with it? We don't hear about them anymore. I don't know. There is a legend that Thomas went there after, you know, the resurrection and, and when, when he gets to the book of Acts. It's never in the Bible. And he ends up in India, but he spends some time there and meets kids of these guys. So that's kind of cool. If you like writing books, write a book about that, how that might work. I'll read it. It could be fun. But we don't, we get what we need, and that's what we believe, that we don't need more, but it's interesting to look at this. And then in verse 11, they come to a house. And this is where people say, well, they're in a house. They're not in a manger. And I think that's because how many people here are originally from Palestine? Now, if you are, you're just shy. No, I mean, none of us are. How many people here are over 2,000 years old? You know, so we've got a time problem and a location problem. If you look at this, this doesn't really make a difference in timing because this here shows you've got a stable here. This is how, this is a t if you're looking down on a Palestinian house at that time, we've got plenty of excavations. You can go to Nazareth, um, Capernaum, Basadia now and see these. But uh, this is, this was like their garage. It was on the lower level. It had a door. That's where the animals would come in. I'm not even going to talk about smell, but this is where the, their garage and then there's steps up, and where mangers, if you didn't know that, is a place where the animals ate. And it wasn't that uncommon f to put, use those as cribs because it's warm. I mean, I know those big bees smell, but they're also warm um, because the HVAC units back then were near as good as they are now. And so you bring that in, it's just practical. Um, and just as an aside, some houses had this, this guest room. And we're not in Luke, but... The Cataluma is the word that unfortunately gets translated in, which probably should be translated guest room, and none of the new translations do that. 
So when Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem, you know, it's not this frantic, let's, why were they going to Bethlehem? Kimson read that. They were, they, because they were from there and they had to get recorded and taxed. Remember when they record you, it's just not just to know who you are. They want, they want to tax you too. That's your social security number. If you're wondering, that's not the only reason you got it, just for identity. But anyway, so they come, they're coming, they're probably coming to a relative's house and everybody's coming there because they're getting taxed and, you know, you might have people who are already here and if you had a baby, you'd probably put them in here anyway. There's no room in the guest room, but we got room here. It makes more sense. So, so back to the timing, he was probably born in the house. If you want to read a book about that, um, he's passed on now, and I got to meet him. Um, Kenneth Bailey, who lived in the Middle East for, I don't know, four decades, he writes a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, and that's, this is where, that's where the chart comes from. So it says, typical village home in Palestine with attached guest room. You know, and so that's what probably goes on. Now, you can keep this stuff. It's still fine. I don't think we need to get rid of it. Um, they weren't, you know, the homes were a little different than they are now. But again, back to timing, if it's the same day, possible that everybody was there and your, your nativity set is fine. Uh, possible it's all messed up, but I don't know which one it is. Uh, it, it just, if it's possible, I think we can keep them there. But we're going to end with this another way to interpret the star. Go way back to a guy named John Chrysostom, who was the Bishop of Constantinople, and you can see the years there, late 4th century, a little bit early 5th. He advocated for a supernatural star that was an angel, which I I never had really thought of until I read this a couple years ago. Um, Again, it's just something to think about. he reasoned that its ability to guide the Magi to a specific dona- or destination, and he reasoned that this is no ordinary star. It's moving really odd. It's kind of coming. It's not there. Some people can see it. Some can't. Or if they are, they're not paying attention to it. And so, you know, maybe this is what he, you know, it's the artist's rendition. You know, it's kind of, if you can look real close at that, it, there's an angel in the middle of that. It's a big angel, too. That's possible. And well, why would he think that? You know, is he just conjecture? Um, well, the star physically moves and marks out the exact location of the child Jesus. So that's, that's something, that, something that has some volition would do. That's what he's starting to think. This looks like it has, now it could be moved by God, I realize that. But this is something a star in the sky could never do. At the very least, he thought that this was a supernatural star. It wasn't one you're going to find Jupiter and Saturn and Mars lighting up. It, it just doesn't work. Um, and this is the kicker, I think. Occasionally, in the Old Testament, celestial beings are called stars. Um, if you've read any of the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, which has had some movies now, too, if you don't like to read them, um, the last couple of those, especially the last one, when they get to this new country, which is kind of a metaphor for the new heaven and the new earth, these beings come down that are very bright and, and white, and they're stars. And so in, in that land, the actual stars are angels, and he uses this stuff. Here's just a couple verses. This is in Job. If you ever want a good read, uh, read Job 
If you ever think you're questioning God that maybe he doesn't know what he's doing, uh, read Job 38. Uh, this verse, and I'll, I'll give you verse 4. This is verse 5 through 7. Uh, Job, if you remember, Job is a book of faith, in my opinion, but he suffers, and he didn't do anything wrong to get suffering, and he's, all these guys come and try to help him figure out why he's suffering, which is, I think, great for us, because we go through stuff, right? Um, so, Job complains a little. He stays pretty faithful. These other guys are complaining about everything. Oh, you must have done something wrong, or you got a generational curse, or God just doesn't really like you. You know, all kinds of stuff like that. And Job's kind of questioning, and then all of a sudden, God hasn't spoken yet. And then he speaks. And I like, I don't have verse 4 up there. I should have put it up there. He's like, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, you who has understanding. It's a sarcastic way. Is Who the heck are you to tell me, the sovereign creator, sustainer, redeemer of the world, how it is? Um, and then it goes on, who determined the earth's measurements? Surely you know. You think God can't be sarcastic? You know, I think that's a spiritual gift. Sarcasm. And I got it. <laughs> it's not listed in any of the gifts, but you know, it's implied. Um, or who stretched out the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? On, on who laid its cornerstone? And then this is the verse, when the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. This is creation, you know, so th this is a place and it's other places in Job and where the stars and the angels are equated. And then you get this, and we don't want to talk about this guy very long, but in Isaiah 14, we think this is talking about Satan. You said in your heart, I will send to heaven above the stars of God. And again, same thing. I will sit on the throne high. You get that same idea that the stars could be angels. So if you have a nativity set that looks like this, think about this. As the worship team uh, comes up and uh, we sing a few, uh, a couple other nice Christmas songs, you can keep it like this. You got the angel at top, you got a star, and maybe it is an angel, maybe it's not. It certainly is supernatural in some ways, the way it did what it was supposed to do, bringing these kings from the east I think it's something to really ponder and just think about that no matter if God is working supernatural like he did many times in your life, be assured that he will work providentially in your life, always. He'll give you what you need, he'll protect you from evil, and he'll give you presents when you want it, especially at Christmas time when we focus on him anymore. So, Chrysostom and others believe that this star wasn't an actual star, but a supernatural angel of light who helped the Magi arrive at their exact location. What we know, God did what he wanted to. He got it perfectly right. And that's what we can always think about as we go through this Christmas time, that God has everything in his hands. And all we really have to do is just read what he said, believe that we have what we need, focus on his son, and Always accept him as a gift, the child that came to die for us. Let us pray. Father, as we continue through this supernatural Christmas series, we know you work in our lives in many ways and probably not supernaturally very often, uh, but 
we know you're with us. You, we know your spirit comes and helps us uh, by comforting us, um, showing us our guilt and pointing us to the grace of the cross. May we always remember that as we think about Christmas uh, just a couple weeks out. Uh, we know what the reason for this season is, but I just pray that your spirit touches us as we sing these songs that point us not to just the Christ child, but the, the Christ that grew up, the Messiah that came uh, to die for us. And may it hit us really well this Christmas. We know it, but may it touch our hearts in ways. May we really, really be thankful for the gift of giving us salvation uh, that we cannot do ourselves. We thank you for bowing down to us in the sense of coming down in Christ, showing yourself, showing us what you're like. May we always put him first in our lives this Christmas and beyond. <laughs>